This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. Hello, you sexy sat stackers, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast, where we are coming at you with that Ken energy. Today is Wednesday, August 2nd, 2023, and that means it is DCA Wednesday. Are you ready to grow that stack of sats? Before we do, and before we get into the news, let's take a real quick look at the vital statistics. At, a, at the time of this recording, we are sitting at a time chain block height of 801,143 TikTok next block. That puts us just 38,569 blocks away from the next Bitcoin miner reward having, and Bitcoin is currently ringing in at a U.S. dollar value of $29,170 per Bitcoin, or 3,428 sats per dollar. That means if the price stays right where it's at by the time we grow our stack, we are going to grow our stack by an additional uh, 38 sats per dollar more than we did just last week, which is awesome. Uh, Speaking of which, did you buy the dip? I mean, if, if it really counts as a dip. Uh, for those of us who had some limit orders uh, out there, we got a surprise in the middle of the night the other night where Bitcoin broke below 28,000. Uh, I, for one, had a limit order. At, I think it was 28,800 I had it set at. So snag some extra sats. Uh, those don't count in our DCA Wednesday stack experiment. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be buying the dip uh, if, you know, if Bitcoin's on sale. And uh, I certainly did. But I digress. Back to the vital statistics. Again, not financial advice. Do your own research. Uh, this is just my experience uh, exploring the Bitcoin, uh, exploring Bitcoin and the concept of dollar cost averaging. Speaking of having of the of the having, we mentioned we're thirty eight thousand five hundred sixty nine blocks away from when the miner reward that miners receive for finding the next block gets cut in half. That's still looking like that's going to happen on April twentieth, four twenty. 2024 obviously significantly less than a year to go now if this is going to be your first having buckle up buttercup because it gets exciting uh, obviously there's a lot of hype leading up to the having right in the day before the having the days before the having and there are huge parties all over the world celebrating this event uh, almost like a chinese new year celebration kind of event of course on the day of the having it's a little anticlimactic unless you're a minor not much really happens but traditionally, that has kicked off the next cycle bull, bull run, the next euphoric phase, uh, and that doesn't start right away. But the but the having um, the having seems to be that trigger date because about six to eighteen months after the having is when we've always set that new all time high. When Bitcoin uh, finally comes back, it eclipses its previous all time high, and then goes on to just blow that one out of the water. For example, the last having was in the fall of twenty twenty. Uh, correction, the spring of twenty twenty. And then it wasn't until December 2020 that Bitcoin broke its previous all-time high of $20,000 or so. Uh, and then in the in the spring of 2021 is when we saw that first uh, blowout top at around $66,000 before it dipped back down into the uh, upper 30s, $40,000 range, before uh, going on to set the ultimate all-time high uh, later that fall of around $69,000. So if history repeats or even rhymes, 
uh, hopefully around October or November of 2024 is when things will get, you know, start getting really exciting when we eclipse that $69,000 all-time high and go on to see new all-time highs. And, you know, none of us have a crystal ball. God only knows if that even happens. And if it does, where we'll go. But uh, if history repeats or rhymes, uh, this could be face melting. Back to the vital statistics. Bitcoin's current price gives it a market capitalization of $567.2 billion. Again, nowhere near the $1 trillion market cap that we had during the previous euphoria phase of the bull run, but still pretty darn respectable. Uh, that doesn't, I don't think that put, puts Bitcoin in the neighborhood of the top 10 largest companies by market cap, but pretty close to breaking into the top 10. And of course, you know, we're in that accumulation phase. So all that matters right now is we're buying sats as cheaply as we can, stacking as many sats as possible before it just gets unaffordable. And speaking of affordability, for those of you who value your wealth in shiny yellow rocks, in little round gold, my precious Peter Schiff coins, it will still cost you 15.1 ounces of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin. Consider that a bargain because when we do, um, when we do set new all-time highs, we're going to be talking pounds of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin. So if you're still a gold bug, if you still value your wealth in shiny yellow rocks, it is not too late, but everybody gets Bitcoin at the price they deserve. And right now, if you're a gold bug, that price is 15.1 ounces of gold. For those of you who value your wealth in pizza, one Bitcoin will currently purchase you 1,631 large pepperoni pizzas from Papa John's. A heck of a lot of pizza. That is more than, uh, that is a pizza a day, one large pepperoni pizza a day for more than four and a half years, something like 4.57 years which is a heck of a lot of food security for just one pizza and a heck of a lot better value than Laszlo got on that first Bitcoin pizza day when he purchased two large Papa John's pizzas for an astounding 10,000 Bitcoin. All right, and back to on-chain metrics. It is looking like the mempool is a little bit more clear than it was last Wednesday, still a lot higher than it had been. That looks like, according to Clark Moody's dashboard, there are about 41 blocks worth of transactions pending in the mempool, which is not as bad as the 54 blocks worth of transactions pending in the mempool last week. Uh, but, you know, still a decent amount of transactions. Again, a lot of those are not Bitcoiners trying to move Bitcoin on chain, but it's those ordinals and inscriptions style transactions, which are fortunately very small. So a lot of transactions can fit in uh, into a block. And, uh, and because of that, uh, the price to guarantee that your on-chain transaction is included in the next block is still relatively affordable, nowhere near as high as it had been. Uh, it's up about a penny, according to Clark Moody's dashboard from last week. Last week, it was he, uh, the Clark Moody's dashboard was estimating that it would cost you a fee of 13 sats per V-byte to guarantee your on-chain transaction is included in the next block. Currently, that's looking like it's going to be more like 14 sats per V-byte. Although his estimate of uh, how expensive it will be to a guarantee your block is mined within a day has remained the same at six sats per v per v byte, and to guarantee your uh, your transaction is mined within a week, that is still the same at five sats per v byte. Mempool.space, as usual, has a slightly different take. 
They're saying it got just a little bit cheaper to include your, your on-chain transaction uh, last week. They were recommending a fee of 11 sats per V-byte for a high-priority transaction. That worked out to about 45 cents in, in U.S. dollar terms. Right now, they're estimating that a high-priority transaction should be, uh, it, you should include a 10 sat per V-byte fee, which is only about 41 cents in U.S. dollar terms. To guarantee your transaction is included, maybe not necessarily in the next block, but you know, as as it says, if it's a high priority transaction that needs to get processed fairly quickly. And 41 cents per V-byte is pretty, or 41 cents US dollars is pretty darn cheap for uh, transferring for transferring wealth anywhere in the world. Like I said in previous episodes, good luck doing a wire transfer for 41 cents. Good luck even mailing a letter with cash or a check in it for 41 cents. And that metric that you know I like to tout, at least what used to be my favorite metric until the ordinals and inscriptions debacle began with the taproot activation. Uh, the on-chain 24-hour transaction average is looking fairly healthy. It's down a little bit from last week. Last week we were averaging 5.41 transactions per second and we're currently looking at a transaction volume of 4.8 transactions per second which is still above the, you know, the kind of the hard limit of four transactions per second we were looking at before Taproot, uh, but significantly slower than the 7.73 transactions per second we saw at the height of the ordinals and transcriptions, ordinals and inscriptions mania. Uh, so whether or not that remains a useful metric is yet to be determined. Uh, I don't put as much weight in it as I used to. Uh, it used to be that anytime we saw on-chain activity above 3.15 or so transactions per second. It was usually indicative that Bitcoin was booming, that the price was going up. Uh, again, that's not any kind of official transaction analysis, any kind of charting, TA, BS, voodoo, black magic. It was just the data that I accumulated over more than two years now of doing this podcast, where anytime we were doing this podcast and transaction volume was up, uh, so was Bitcoin's price. Uh, whether or not that continues to be the case, only time will tell. Uh, last week we had just had a mining difficulty adjustment. It was a fairly substantial decrease in difficulty adjustment. Of course, that's as I uh, hypothesized because it's summer here in the United States and 20% of Bitcoin's mining hash rate is in the United States. Actually, 20% is in Texas. And as you know, most of those commercial miners have agreements with the power grids where they turn off their miners when, when there's... Uh, times of high demand, which in Texas is when people are running their air conditioning. In places where it gets really cold, you know, high demand usually occurs when people are running their heaters. But in Texas, uh, it occurs in the summer when it is just unbearably stifling hot and humid and people are running their air conditioners. And that continues to be the case, although it's looking like things have normalized a little bit because we are currently 937 blocks away from the next mining difficulty adjustment. And depending where you get your data, for example, Clark Moody's dashboard is saying that that's going to be a, that there won't be an increase or a decrease. Clark Moody's dashboard is currently forecasting that it's, that the, that the difficulty is going to remain exactly the same. Uh, other other sites are forecasting a slight difficulty decrease. For example, BGC.com is forecasting we're going to see a, a difficulty decrease of 0.91%. And that is because blocks are currently averaging really darn close to their 10-minute goal, 
Uh, currently, we're averaging 10 minutes and 1 seconds between blocks, which is, that's almost a technicality. That's, you know, one second, one second longer than, than Satoshi intended. And with 937 blocks to go, anything's possible. So uh, things are looking uh, like, uh, things are looking like they're progressing exactly as Satoshi intended. Uh, we found an equilibrium, at least for a little while. Real quick, thank you to those of you listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 apps such as uh, Fountain or Breeze. As I've mentioned repeatedly, you can earn sets for listening to your favorite podcasts on Fountain as well as support your favorite podcast through the value for value model by streaming some of those sats back to your favorite podcast or by boosting your favorite podcast, which is basically sending a message, but it's a lightning message. So you're sending your favorite podcast some sats uh, and it's kind of it's kind of like kind of like DMing them, but you're also tipping your favorite podcast, and uh, and and we don't have any boost to read this week, but thank you for those of you who have boosted in the past, and thank you for those of you who are, who are who continue to support the podcast by listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 app. And speaking of listeners, our geographic listener distribution remains exactly the same as it did last week. Uh, that appears to have ossified a little bit. Uh, the top 10 countries are as follows. 55% of you are listening from the United States. So thank you to all of my fellow Americans listening from right here in the United States. Although the United States is a big country and there's 50 individual states, some of those states are larger than many other countries. So it would be kind of neat to see a state-by-state -state breakdown because, for example, how does Texas compare with, you know, Argentina, Germany, or Luxembourg? Uh, some of those countries might, uh, I'm sure some of the countries in the top 10 have more listeners than many of the states in the United States, but the only data I get is broken down by country, and 55% of you are listening from right here in the United States, so thank you uh, for those in the United States. Number two remains Argentina, where 11% of you are listening from, so once again, muchos gracias amigos in Argentina. Number three remains Germany, where 7% of you are listening, so danke schön, danke, mein, uh, danke für alles, mein Freund in Deutschland, uh, for listening and number four remains Luxembourg. So again, um, thank you to my friends in Luxembourg. Uh, danke, danke schön, or Morian, to those of you who speak Luxembourgish. Uh, what languages do you speak in Luxembourg? I'm, I'm having a, uh, I'm having a brain, a brain, a brain slip here. Uh, German, Belgium, French, and Luxembourgish. Uh, number five remains Canada, where two percent of you're listening to. Greg Foss's home country, the 51st state, the Great White North, the frozen tundra, not so frozen at the moment, more like the burning tundra. Are those wildfires under control? I know they were making the news uh, for a while there during the summer, I guess. I haven't heard a whole lot of, of, uh, of news about the Canadian wildfires. That doesn't mean they're not happening. Traditionally, summer is wildfire season, which is a weird thing about Florida because here winter is wildfire season. And the reason winter is wildfire season here is because we get um, we get the cold fronts that move through from the north, and those cold fronts, believe it or not, dry the air out. That it pushes some of the humidity out of Florida. It pushes the you know the breezes coming from the mainland instead of hot Gulf air, or hot tropical Atlantic air being the main influence on Florida's weather. And even though these cold fronts might only drop the temperature down into the 70s, it is the dry air that that um, that allows us to have our big forest fires here in in the winter in Florida. But I digress. Thank you to our friends in Canada uh, for remaining the number five most listened to or the number the spot 
with the with the f- the fifth highest spot in our listener ranking. Number six still remains Spain, where two percent of you listening. So muchos gracias, amigos, in Spain. Number seven remains Venezuela. Again, two percent of you are listening from Venezuela. Also muchos gracias. Number eight remains Colombia. Two percent of you are listening from Colombia. Again. Muchos gracias. Mine, uh, muchos gracias, mine. Slipping into German there, sorry. Muchos gracias, amigos, in Colombia. Uh, it is really cool that uh, so many of our top 10 listening countries are Spanish speaking countries. My Spanish is horrible. I apologize for how poorly I speak Spanish, but thank you for those of you who are listening from our Spanish speaking uh, country, neighbor countries to the south. Number nine remains Sweden, where 1% of you are listening to. So thank you to those of you in Sweden. I still don't know how to say hello or thank you in Swedish. Nobody has reached out to help me with that. Number 10 remains Singapore. 1% of you are listening from Singapore. Also, I don't know how to say hello or thank you in uh, uh, to those of you in Singapore either. But thank you for listening. Uh, and uh, below the top 10 hasn't appeared to change as well. Mexico is still lurking down there at number 11 with 1% of you listening from Mexico. Doesn't look like it'll take too much more in the way of listenership to uh, bump Mexico up. So, hey, if you're listening from Mexico, muchas gracias, amigos. If you convince one of your friends to listen, uh, that might be all it takes to bump Mexico into the top 10. All right. Like I alluded to earlier, the price is always high up in the news items it seems to be always what people are talking about when it comes to bitcoin uh, and that hasn't changed uh, bitcoin did dip to as low as twenty eight thousand four hundred and seventy seven dollars when uh, some fud came out surrounding uh, well there were two sources of fud we'll get to in the news uh, the first one was uh, had to do with the uh, DeFi exchange curve and their srv or their crv token with a headline on Bloomberg, crypto market unnerved by DeFi exchange Curve sinking CRV token. There were a couple of uh, controversies around Curve. Bloomberg says a tumble in the native token of key decentralized cryptocurrency Curve Finance sapped sentiment toward digital assets on concern that the episode could trigger cascading liquidations of positions throughout the embryonic sector. Coindesk reported that Curve Finance drained of $50 million while CRV token sinks 12%. In latest DeFi exploit, exploit, it wasn't clear if this was a bug or a hack, but basically more than $100 million worth of S coins uh, were taken or at risk of being taken due to a bug or a hack in the stable coins uh, in the in the stablecoin exchange at the center of the of the uh, Ethereum DeFi ecosystem. Uh, they further go on to say in this article on Coindesk that Curve founder Michael Ergarov's penchant for borrowing tens of millions of dollars in tokens against his CRV holdings has pinned a handful of on-chain lending markets up against the wall. If the price of CRV falls too low and they're forced to try and liquidate his collateral at a time when buyers are slim, they could, sl- they could sell low and suffer crippling debts, creating a systemic risk for all of DeFi. Where have we seen this before? The dude invents a token out of thin air and then uses the token he invented to borrow hundreds of millions of dollars to buy mansions, etc. God only knows what, what he's purchasing. And the only collateral is his S-coin. I mean, that kind of sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Um, but again, this is a Bitcoin show, not an altcoin show. But 
these are the sort of things that are being blamed for the dip in in the uh, in the in Bitcoin's price recently. Of course, if you've been listening to this show for any length of time, you know that I keep saying that I'm a firm subscriber and atomizer at TechBalt's 210,000 block theory. And if we are playing out the 210,000 block theory, history was repeating. That history being 2019. And 2019 saw its ups and downs. It was a crab market. It was the quote-unquote crypto winter where we went basically sideways for more than a year. Uh, but sideways only if you zoom out. If you zoomed in and focused on the prices, on the uh, the, minute, the minute price data on a day-by-day basis, Bitcoin soared all the way to, what, 10 or 12,000 and then crashed all the way down to 3,000. Uh, approximately this same point in time. So the fact that Bitcoin went up to 30-something grand, as high as 34,000 per Bitcoin, depending on where you get your data, and then back down is not unusual. If we do an exact repeat of 2029, it wouldn't be unusual to see Bitcoin sink as low as even even revisiting the 2020, you know, the $20,000 uh, range. Again, they say Bitcoin, like history, rhymes, not repeats. So who knows what it'll do? And again, nobody has a crystal ball. Uh, you know, there's no guarantee that that history will repeat. We don't know what kind of black swan could happen. What kind of great news could happen that could either tank the price of Bitcoin or raise the price of Bitcoin. But just looking at it from comparing this to the previous halving cycle, uh, Bitcoin going up a little bit and then retracing is exactly what happened in 2019. <clears throat> Pardon me. Speaking of S coins that are affecting the price of Bitcoin, uh, Richard Hart and his hex, uh, his hex coin has been in the news again with the SEC charging uh, charging Hart with securities fraud violations from a press release issued by the SEC on July 31st. There, the headline straight from the SEC itself is SEC charges hex founder Richard Hart with misappropriating millions of dollars of investor funds from unregistered crypto crypto asset securities offering that raised more than $1 billion. The press release goes on to say, the Securities and Exchange Commission today charged Richard Hart, a.k.a. Richard Schuler, and three unincorporated entities that he controls, Hex, PulseChain, and PulseX, with conducting unregistered offerings of crypto asset securities that raised more than $1 billion in crypto assets from investors. The SEC also charged Hart and PulseChain with fraud for misappropriating at least $12 million of offering proceeds to purchase luxury goods, including sports cars, watches, and a 555-carat black diamond known as the Enigma, reportedly the largest black diamond in the world. Doesn't this sound familiar? I mean, weren't we just talking about this exact sort of scammery? I mean, literally the last thing we were talking about was Curve with Michael Igaroff using uh, his uh, the proceeds of his uh, hex sales or the value of his hex token uh, to acquire you know luxury goods. Now, he wasn't necessarily being accused of stealing customer funds, which is what the SEC appears to be alleging Richard Hart of doing. Um, but still, scammers are going to scam, and it seems like you know, these scams are all the same. Uh, it doesn't matter what, what S-coin it is, uh, what what year it is. Uh, it, it reminds me of the adage, fool me once, uh, shame on me, fool me, fool me, or fool me, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Um, but I guess, you know, the other saying goes, a fool is born every minute. And with the expanding, uh, with the expanding influence of 
of uh, Bitcoin and the crypto asset sphere, quote unquote. Uh, it's just a matter of time before the next scammer comes up with his next scam. And speaking of scammers, scammers, S-corners, had been reveling in the uh, in the ruling against the Securities and Exchange Commission where it said cryptocurrencies in and of themselves are not necessarily securities. Uh, a ruling that was has been described as dubious at best for multiple reasons and a ruling from a you know basically a district court judge which is not going to be the end of it by any means we're going to see multiple rulings from multiple judges before we finally get a ruling from perhaps as high as the united states supreme court that settles this once and for all and even that is subject to change depending on what the united states congress ends up doing you know if they end up changing the law but i digress the current headline from uh, I believe this one is Reuters said Ripple ruling on crypto rejected by federal judge in Terra case. Judge rejects Ripple ruling distinction hailed by crypto fans. Decision again muddies regulatory outlook for digital assets. And this was uh, posted on Monday. It says a federal judge in New York split with another judge who earlier this month ruled that a Ripple lab token was not a security when sold to the public on secondary markets, adding to uncertainty over cryptocurrency regulation. This, I believe, was the uh, U.S. District Court for Southern New York. This district court is involved in a lot of securities and banking decisions, so I'd put a little more, uh, I'd put a little more stock into this district court. But again, one district court, even one appellate court, is only only has jurisdiction over a specific region. So, for example, you know, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals is in San Francisco, and if they make a ruling, it really only affects the the, the states that are under their jurisdiction, whereas if the appellate court in Washington, D.C. makes a, uh, a ruling, it doesn't affect California, for example. So uh, none of this provides any finality as far as clarity goes, but it's interesting to see that yet another judge has a completely different take saying, no, all of these S-coins are securities. If it is, if there's a central entity and they're issuing an investment contract to people who are expecting to make a profit, that it meets the Howey test, basically. And the bad news continues to pile up. This doesn't necessarily have anything to do with S-coins, altcoins, or Bitcoin, but it has to do with the creditworthiness of the United States and the strength of the U.S. dollar. And Reuters is reporting that Fitch has downgraded uh, the U.S. government's credit ratings. Quotes saying, quote, Rating agency Fitch on Tuesday downgraded the U.S. government's top credit rating, a move that drew an angry response from the White House, surprise, surprise, and surprised investors coming despite the resolution of the debt ceiling crisis two months ago. It isn't just the debt ceiling crisis that makes US the US dollar worthless, that, that's destroying the credibility of the US dollar, that's making the US bond a risky asset, what used to be deemed the safest asset in the world. Uh, it's not just the raising the, the, the debt limit and, uh, and ensuring that the government isn't going to default on these bonds, but if they're inflating the value of the U.S. dollar away, inflating the, the value of the U.S. dollar to where your $100 bond has an effective value of $50 when it finally comes to maturity, uh, that makes it a pretty worthless asset. So it's understandable that the U.S. would have its you know creditworthiness downgraded, even though they voted basically to spend an unlimited amount of money when they dissolved temporarily the debt ceiling. What I find particularly funny about this is the very next line in the story that says, Traders' immediate response was to embark on a safe haven push out of stocks and into government bonds in the dollar. So Fitch says the United States government's creditworthiness is down. It's more risky. They're saying that they're they're not, you know, that, that your 
The safety of your money when invested in U.S. bonds is no longer as safe as it had been. Uh, uh, therefore, people are rushing to buy bonds. Uh, people are idiots. People are sheep. Uh, what can you do? There was a little bit of a controversy on Twitter earlier this week, last week, when uh, author of Soft War, U.S. Space Force Major Jason P. Lowry, tweeted out on the 27th that the 27th of July that for those who are asking what's been going on with me, I was ordered to take software software down and asked to stop talking about the subject publicly. Doesn't appear on MIT's library either. Can't talk details, but things are good, and I'm working hard behind the scenes. Appreciate the kind words. A lot of people put a lot of stock in Jason P. Lowry because he was in the military and because he wrote a fairly intriguing book called Software about you know Bitcoin as a weapon and that the strategic value of, of nation states owning Bitcoin. Uh, some people are calling this a pump and dump because if you look on eBay, for example, copies of Software were going for as much as $25,000 a piece. FYI, the PDF is still available for free out there. It's almost like if only there was a decentralized way to share files, right? You know, if there was some way that you could sell, send, that you could store data in a decentralized manner where nobody could delete it. Hmm. So without getting into specifics, there are copies of software out there, software out there if you want to download it and read it. Uh, my take on this is this isn't necessarily about Bitcoin. Jason Lowry was selling a product in uniform, representing himself as, quote, Space Force Major. I mean, that was all the headline. U.S. Space Force Major, Jason P. Lowry, you know, whenever we're talking about Bitcoin. Uh, this sort of thing is generally frowned upon the military. Your job in the military is to represent the interests of the United States government, to kill people and break things when called upon. Even a private company would have a problem with this. Let's say you worked for Microsoft and you came out with a book touting Bitcoin and every headline was Microsoft engineer so-and-so touts Bitcoin, Microsoft engineer sells health supplement, whatever, whatever you're trying to sell, that company would be like, hey, we don't endorse this. Stop talking about this as, as a representative of our company. I think that's all that's basically behind this. You know, Jason Lowry was going to MIT and he was kind of given a wide leash by the military when he was a student because this is the sort of thing he was studying. This was basically his master's or PhD thesis, right? So um, they weren't going to curtail him from doing that. But now he's back He's not in, you know, he's graduated. He's back in, he's back doing his regular kill people and break things job for the U.S. Space Force. And so you'd expect him to be treated just like any other grunt. Uh, and that means you cannot stand up and talk about things as a representative of the military and imply that the military endorses what you're saying. So I don't see any surprise there. In fact, I'm surprised they didn't shut him down earlier. Kind of fun news. Uh, a lot of people uh, heard Margot Robbie's comments when she appeared on an interview with Fandango last month and basically said that people talking about Bitcoiners makes you a Ken. Uh, Michael Saylor jumped on this retweeting a clip of the interview with hashtag Bitcoin is Big Ken Energy. Uh, basically, what happened is Margot Robbie was on was on uh was on uh, was 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 in this interview and and they were they were talking about what it is to be a ken like a ken is a new thing kind of like maybe it, it's people there's still some disagreement on whether this is an insult or or not but i think she meant it in a way not quite as bad as calling someone a karen but in a not not necessarily insulting but kind of like in a lovingly way that like a woman might insult her husband like oh you because that's what she was talking about. She was talking about her husband and producer David Heyman. And they said, what makes somebody a Ken? And she said, when producer Dave Heyman and her husband, Tom Ackerley, would start talking about Bitcoin, uh, she'd be like, 
quote, you're being such Kens. And so people ran to that saying that talking about Bitcoin makes you a Ken. You take for that what you what you what you want, make for that what you mean. But uh, the laser eyed maximalist Kens took that to mean that uh, to mean that's a good thing, or at least it's a good thing in the way that the that Greenpeace's skull of Satoshi was adopted as a badge of honor, you know, as a symbol that we took as that we thought was cool when it was meant to be degrading. I don't know where Margot Robbie is insulting us or not, but it's funny that her husband and the producers of the of the uh, of the Barbie movie were talking about Bitcoin, and that's and that's what got the eye roll for Margot Robbie to say, "Oh, oh, hubby, you're such a Ken," basically. All right. Speaking of Michael Saylor, Michael Saylor made headlines uh, just yesterday with CoinDesk, for example, reporting Bitcoin whale Michael Saylor might buy a lot more Bitcoin. MicroStrategy plans to sell up to $750 million of stock, possibly to acquire Bitcoin. The price of Bitcoin rose following the announcement. Uh, report on Bloomberg went to say that MicroStrategy's operations are... Uh, or that MicroStrategy currently owns 152,800 Bitcoin worth about 4.5 billion, and that, micro, that MicroStrategy has returned to profitability largely on the back of Bitcoin. MicroStrategy's operations themselves, their software operations, are still unprofitable, having booked a quarterly operating loss of 26.7 million in the quarter. However, the company has over 700 million in deferred tax benefits from prior write downs of its Bitcoin holdings. And now that Bitcoin has recovered in value, the company has removed a valuation allowance against the, the tax assets. Basically, because of the strange ways that the government makes companies account, uh, makes the, the company's, company's value Bitcoin holdings, when the price of Bitcoin goes down, they made, it, they made them basically claim a huge loss. Uh, even though the price of Bitcoin fluctuates, uh, they don't get to mark to market, so to say, their uh, their value of bitcoin and so they have this huge loss which they didn't really incur because they didn't sell bitcoin that they now get to deduct off of future income MicroStrategies remain bullish stacking consistently throughout the bear market remember they just purchased 347 million dollars of the bitcoin <coughs> pardon me <coughs> oh my goodness in the previous quarter uh with headlines from the business journal, MicroStrategy adds to Bitcoin haul with $347 million purchase in Q2. So Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy remain bullish. Uh, they have $4.5 billion of the Bitcoin, and they're looking to add as much as another $750 million of the Bitcoin in the next few months. That is really cool. A lot of people kind of are starting to worry about just how large Michael Saylor's Bitcoin stack is. But again, that's one of the neat things about Bitcoin. It doesn't matter how much Bitcoin you have. That does not give you any more influence uh, over the Bitcoin protocol or over the blockchain than any other person running a node. Uh, you know, obviously, if he were to dump billions of dollars of the Bitcoin, you know, that, that, would have a, that would have an influence on the price. But as Bitcoin becomes more valuable, as more Bitcoin continues to mine, get mined as we get closer to that $21 million Bitcoin hard cap, uh, the ability of any individual even four point even an individual 4.5 billion dollars of the bitcoin to tank the price of bitcoin too badly uh, starts to wane uh, for reference an article in forbes states that microstrategies break even price after all other purchases not thirty thousand seven hundred dollars so microstrategy remains underwater but they are bullish 
they know this is an accumulation phase and they're continue to, continuing to stack. On the positive news out there, it's being reported that Marathon Digital has an ownership stake in a company that just created the first ever four nanometer chip. As you know, the size of the chips greatly influence the power and the uh, the power of the mining, uh, the power of the miners, the power of the of the computer. Because the smaller the chip, the more efficiently it operates. The more the more of those chips you can pack into a miner. That's why you have you know dramatically more chips in say an S19 Pro than you did in an Antminer S9. Uh, this is really cool because this should give Marathon Digital uh, kind of an advantage and maybe help with help with their profitability but who cares about you know marathon digital you should be owning the underlying asset however this also has implications for us in general because you know with uh with computer chips getting smaller and more powerful uh, that's going to benefit humanity as a whole uh, but if it also helps if if bitcoin miners can become more efficient uh, it helps you know bitcoin maybe use a little bit of electricity uh, and that might appease some of those esg nazis the other really cool thing about this is that this chip was designed and to be built in the United States. There was a lot of FUD on the fact that all of these chips were being built in China or Taiwan, which is effectively could be China with just one military advance by China. So nice to see some chip manufacturing and uh, leading chip manufacturing occurring here in the United States. All right, I've been yammering long enough. Let's get to the meat of the subject, and that is why we're here. We're here today because today is DCA Wednesday. What is DCA, you might ask? DCA is... Uh, short for dollar cost averaging and dollar cost averaging is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals regardless of price for example this is going to be our 106th stack we've been dcaing for more than two years now we started stacking 20 dollars every wednesday back on wednesday july 28 2021 in that time we've stacked 106 times converting a total of 2100 uh, U.S. dollars, including $47.70, into 7276456 sats at an average purchase price of $28,860.21. And to add to that stack today, as usual, we're going to use the handy-dandy Cash App. Once again, Cash App is not a sponsor of the show. There is, however, a referral code in the show notes if you are not using cash app and would like to do so please consider signing up by clicking on that link uh, i believe the offer is currently you'll get five dollars for signing up and the podcast will get five dollars as well so you'll get five dollars and you'll help support the podcast uh, if you use that referral code all right i have my cash app open and i'm clicking on bitcoin entering twenty dollars and clicking confirm and boom just like that we purchased another 67,037 sats bringing our stack up to a whopping 7,343,491 sats at an average purchase price now of $28,869.10 so that raised our average cost basis by $8.89 however uh, that is still a lot cheaper than, of course, when we purchased at the all-time high, and uh, still a lot cheaper, still significantly cheaper than Bitcoin's current price. What did we purchase at? We purchased at $29,163.07, so we're, we're not only adding to our stack, we're, we're still in the green, 
None of that, of course, will matter when Bitcoin goes on to achieve a new all-time high. If Bitcoin does go to the moon one day, for example, if Bitcoin hits that, you know, if Bitcoin if Bitcoin eclipses $100,000, at $100,000, our stack would be worth $7,343.49, significantly more than the $2,000 that we've converted. If Bitcoin goes to the moon one day, the stack will be worth $73,434.91. Definitely uh, a life-changing sum for Benny. But again, the only important thing is that when, when we do achieve hyper-Bitcoinization one day, uh, if your local fiat goes the way that all fiats have eventually gone and crumbles, hyperinflates becomes worthless or flat out goes away, uh, you'll have enough Satoshis to participate in, in, uh, in, in the modern economy, in the new economy, in the, in the Bitcoin economy. All right. It is edging up on my deadline for getting this podcast uploaded and posted, so I know I've rambled on quite a bit today, um, so I'm going to wrap things up real quick by asking you to do us a solid and subscribe to our Twitter channel. We are at BTC Bulletin Pod on Twitter. Uh, that will help promote the podcast, help more people find out about the podcast. Uh, if you are not listening to us on your favorite podcasting 2.0 app, please consider doing so. You don't necessarily have to stream us any sats or boost us. Um, but listening to us on your favorite podcasting 2.0 app will help move us up in the podcast ratings. Also, the biggest thing you can do is regardless of what platform you're listening to uh, this podcast on, do the equivalent of subscribe or follow depending on your platform or leave us a review. Leaving reviews radically influences the algorithm monster and helps uh, promote the podcast to more people. The more people hear this podcast, hopefully the more people you'll, you will help us orange pill. But either way, thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Don't forget to uh, don't forget to reach out to us and let us know what you think about the podcast, either by sending us a DM at BTC Bulletin on Pod or ETC Bulletin Pod at BTC Bulletin Pod on Twitter, or by sending me an email at Bitcoin Bulletin at ProtonMail.com. But most importantly, don't forget to join us next Wednesday and every Wednesday where we continue to grow this stack together at the next DCA Wednesday episode. But until that time, keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers. <laughs>